listening to Learning Now Radio, bringing you the best news, views and interviews from the team that brings you Learning Now TV. This is Learning Now Radio. On this episode of Learning Now Radio, I have one of my favourites. I'm not ashamed to say one of my favourites. I've loved everybody that I've interviewed, but I'm afraid <laughs> I am going to show favourites on this one. Um, I'm speaking again to Sam Rogers. Many of you would give him the title of polymath, but we're going to give him the title today of project coordinator for the digital learning asset framework. And that's what we're going to be focused on today. I truly believe, and Sam um, flattered me in terms of getting me involved in this particular project, I really think that the word game changer is often used quite liberally and thrown around all over the place. But for me, this marks the potential for a starting point for what learning development will become over the next decade or so. So, Sam, thank you so much for joining us today on Learning Now Radio. Well, thank you very much for being here. And it's it's no uh, small thing that uh, that I pulled you into this project, Lisa, being that it was actually in talking with you that that this idea was born so thank you for um you know all of your inspiration and for helping to get the word out and i'm a fan of yours too wow that's very sweet we could yeah we could just spend the next 20 minutes saying how lovely we both are and what a lovely (laughs) meal i had with you in utah where we were discussing this and sam i think it might be worth sort of lifting the lid on that what was the inspiration or what was the problem that you're seeking to solve by developing a digital learning asset framework and why did you do it in the way that you did it well there's a lot of smart people that i have run into especially in the last year or two speaking at learning and development conferences and and connecting online um, through daily live streams and and doing webinars and all that kind of stuff and it just seemed to me that a lot of people were having the same kinds of problems, the same kinds of issues um, that are at the core of what learning and development is and and kind of baked in to how it came to be. And, uh, and so I thought, well, maybe if we just gathered a bunch of smart people and set a timeline on when we would announce something, that then we could work on what it is that we were going to announce within that time frame. And um, and the digital learning asset framework is not a very good name. Hopefully it won't have that name forever, but it was the the banner with which I was reaching out to people around the world to, to basically better define what it is that we do in terms of work product. There's a lot of definition out there or places you can go to get certified in this or, you know, to become better at that as an individual. And there's, um, there's standards out there for how to deliver content. You know, this is a, a SCORM standard or an XAPI standard. There's standards out there for how it is that we can measure evaluations or things like that. But there's nothing that actually measures, to my knowledge, and I've looked everywhere, and if you know of something, please, you know, please reach out to me and tell me. There's nothing that I know that measures the input what it is that actually qualifies as uh, as learning. How do we know when we have something that's an asset 
that is worthy of measuring as learning. What properties does that have and how can we design for that and basically um, pre-validate that it's worth measuring as learning as opposed to measuring for just information. This is something that, uh, you know, you you can look at, you have access to, that kind of thing. Um, differentiating what is learning content from information content was really the, the foundation that I was reaching out to folks such as yourself or, you know, 30 other people uh, from around the world to help kind of look at that problem. And the Digital Learning Asset Framework version 1.0 is the first result of that. What's fascinating, um, and it really just happened today, a colleague of mine actually shared a really interesting article with me. And it was a critique of some of the, the largest organisations of the, uh, in the world, actually banks, retail, etc. And a discussion around um, compliance e-learning. And what really struck me is the whole kind of tenor of the article was the ineffectiveness of this learning and the fact that it was a checkbox exercise. And it just brought me right back to the conversations that we had had and then obviously observing the conversations and contributions for everybody else that was involved in developing the framework of it almost felt like nobody ever bothered to ask the question whether this actually qualified as learning or not, why were they doing it in the first place? And often it was to do with regulation and compliance, but it wasn't learning. Yeah, and regulation and compliance is a major driver, of course, of most of the the things that that we make. Like as a senior instructional designer myself, like that's probably like 60% of the stuff that I've ever made has to do with some kind of compliance, some kind of regulation or at least an internal business initiative that they need to make sure that everybody does this thing, you know, for competitive advantage or whatever it is. Um, but I have a very unpopular opinion about this. And um, I, I do believe that compliance training is extremely important, but that alone does not make it learning. Uh, why does compliance training exist? It exists to check a box, and that box is we have a legal defense against our employees as an organization in most cases. Not in all cases, but pretty much all, every, most of everything I've seen is, you know, for all the, your safety trainings or or any, you know, customer information security, harassment prevention, all that kind of stuff. It's basically shifting liability from the organization to the individual if something should go wrong. And we know that, you know, statistically speaking, something's going to go wrong sometime. Um, no matter how safe your organization is, there are accidents that happen and things things go wrong. Um, eventually, there will be a lawsuit. And the compliance training is the defense against that lawsuit. And as a consultant, I've used that to help, you know, justify uh, risk and reward to be able to, uh, you know, make content for an organization and stuff like that. And the, the business doesn't flinch at that. But the learning and development folks get very noisy about that and really don't like that. And they want to do something that actually changes behavior, that actually makes people safer. That is a learning issue, but that's not that's not the checkbox that the business is generally looking for, actually, when you drill down to it. Like, of course, we want people to be safer. We want to, but, but it's a secondary purpose. The primary purpose is the legal defense. So I try and separate out the uh, 
what is this for? What is this actually doing? Is this about behavior change? Do we actually want people to do something differently? Because if that's the case, it doesn't really matter what it is that they know. Like that's, again, kind of secondary. It's, it's an intermediary. Maybe it will result in them doing something different, but maybe it won't. I mean, we all know how to do things correctly and we do them wrong all the time. Um, uh, texting and driving is one that I give to people, you know, um, from, from Julie Dirksen. I had a conversation with her about it and it's, I think it's the best example. Like, have you ever done that? And people will generally say yes. And do you know that that's dangerous and it could kill you? And people will generally say, well, yeah, of course it's really bad. Yeah. I don't do it much. Well, when's the last time you did? Um, well, actually it was this morning or, well, it was last week when, you know, the, the, like it happens. We do it. We know that it could kill us and yet we do it. The knowledge doesn't change our behavior. So, uh, in the digital learning asset framework model, what we finally got to, uh, with this collective, I think is a, is a fairly unique, uh, approach to learning, which is to align the, the outcome to something that A, can be measured by the business and B, has a learning value. It's targeted to a specific group of people that need a specific behavior change according to the organization and that's been measured before and can be measured after so you can see progress and that that thing, learning is the only solution here. So anything that could be could be fixed by other means is off the table. The problem is that people don't know something. If I don't possess the right skill, if I don't have the right concept in my mind, or there's just some fact that I'm missing, I'm going to do stuff wrong. And the fix to that is knowledge. It's learning. It's adopting a skill. It's acquiring a behavior. It's knowing something that makes a difference. But just knowing something alone doesn't make a difference. And again, it's not, it's not really, really been too popular um, trying to get the message out about this digital learning asset framework. Um, and I'm learning constantly about how to do that better. Um, but it's really just bringing science to learning. And uh, we like to talk about learning science or, you know, there's buzzwords about um, cognitive science and you see neuroscience being brought up more and more. Um, I'm really talking about behavioral science and how it is that we know when we make something that it is successful. What is it supposed to do and how do we know that that happened? Um, and baking that into why it is that we're making things in the first place. If we're making an asset, it's to change behavior for a specific target group in a specific way. And it's uh, just bringing a little bit of that, that scientific rigor to know when we're on target and when we're not. And to be able to capture the business logic into some sort of framework that we can test and we can know and we can iterate and experiment with. 
And I would challenge anybody that listening to this to ask themselves, have they ever had a conversation in the organisation that they've worked in? And you and I just um, off air, I was describing to you a conversation that I had with a very large organisation in the UK around communities, um, kind of a, a job that I've done in a past life. And they were just asking really for advice. And one of the key reflections that they had was that, you know, communities by definition, um, again, you know, and another method, not a digital digital method, although often supported with, you know, digital means um, of acquiring knowledge from a group of people is that when you know, communities must exist because, you know, people want to be a part of them, you know, they're very altruistic, it's, it's part of what happens. But we tend to find that, you know, once the initial buzz is there, there's only a few people interested and it dies a death. And the two questions I always ask is, did anybody ever articulate the purpose for the community? And was that agreed upon by the people that were going to take part? And how are you going to measure its success, both both qualitatively, because you can do that, but quantitatively? The, the reason why you have a community that, um, that exists in an organisation is it's trying to solve a business problem. And that's almost the light bulb moment. It's not a difficult thing to ask, but it's those two points and it comes exactly the same really with the digital learning asset framework it's that challenge of what is the perceived problem and the performance issue that we are trying to address and how will we know when we've addressed it what will the data tell us and it's amazing how often that isn't considered whereas the business almost expect to see that just as part of what we do and there's that disconnect and I think you know being involved in a project like this what's been really exciting for me is to see that perennial problem finally we may not have it right in first iteration it's going to continue to evolve and I know you're going to tell us more about that in a moment but we are starting to address that issue that just seems to keep coming back again and again and again. Yeah if this was a total success what would happen x y and z there's there's something that is going to happen as a result. What is that? How is that being measured already? Um, as I'm fond of saying, you know, before any project happens in learning or in any part of the business, before there's there's you know a task or a request in someone's inbox, something got measured somewhere. Something was not the way that someone expected it to be. You know, be they in a in a boardroom or at a man, manager level or whatever, there's there's some kind of thing that has been perceived and that should be different in the future. Therefore, project. You know, so uh, keeping a a laser focus on that is um, is definitely a, a business problem that's much bigger than than learning and development. But the reason that I'm interested in learning and development and and the learning and development community uh, and and helping grow that and make it stronger is because the learning and development folks are the ones with the keys to the kingdom. And it's kind of like this this secret. I, I don't know that that we know this as a community, but no other part of the organization has more insight into the problems, the everyday issues of the workers, of the employees. Um, no one else has better insight into the flaws and processes throughout the organization or the bugs that are there in the systems that we work with or the quirks that are unique to that culture uh, or 
the resistance that the organization itself has to change. We're the ones that are rolling out all those change initiatives that are that are doing those the right on the front lines of of what that change is. So no other part of the organization is more critical to surviving external changes in the marketplace, in in the business world, or being able to thrive through those changes. We're the ones that know. And we're the ones also that are responsible uh, for maybe not uh, as a direct line responsible for hiring and firing, but we're the ones that are attracting talent. We will invest this learning in your learning. We will invest in your advancement. The things that we have to show for that bring people in and keep them there, retaining talent by you know, making good on that investment by giving them things that they can learn and advance and grow that that they can use that are relevant to them. And that's the that's the make or break for any organization is their people and attracting the people that care enough to innovate, that care enough to develop themselves, that care enough to advance. Those are the people that are going to drive the organization forward. We're the ones that know all of this better than any other segment of the organization. And I, I do think that we have the power that can be leveraged to become central to the organization, not just supplemental, but really central to the knowledge about all those things. And I think that also addresses, Sam, another issue that because it's seen as often supplemental to the organization, that you end up in a challenge every year of budget. And justifying existence, justifying why you do what you do. And one of the the kind of revelations to me in the role that, that I now have is having conversations with business leaders that start with the definition of what's the problem that you're trying to solve? What do you expect to happen? And let's put some figures against this, because this isn't just you're not just solving it for the the sake of well it'd be fun to solve it we've all got far too much on our plates there's a reason why we're doing this and let's map out what we expect to happen over the next 12 months because by doing that you don't get dragged into a conversation of we must go for maximum cost saving what we want to be doing is maximizing our investments so if we start with a digital learning asset framework and we understand what the outcomes are likely to be but with the caveat that you may not quite get what you're going to get because that's the um that's the nature of of experimentation even the mo- in the most scientific of settings that often we get unexpected results but if we know what we're going to get at the end of it, then we don't start to have to be dragged into this conversation of every year we must cut the budget, cut the budget. It's actually how much more can we achieve this year? Yeah, when it's talking about that, that budgetary kind of thing, um, uh, if you have to justify why you exist, you're on the wrong end of that equation. We have information and we have leverage within the organization that is critical to the organization functioning. And if there's an economic upheaval or, you know, some great new competitor springs up out of nowhere, it's learning and development, really, that's going to help the business become more competitive in that situation. If there's something that that 
changes the regulatory infrastructure that the organization is operating in. It's learning and development that's going to help give the business that edge that it needs to, to reskill and re, retool, recertify the people who are within that organization. So it is business critical, but it's not often seen that way simply because we don't present that way. We, we're not coming at it with that kind of rigor or awareness. So I think the ingredients are there, but with the, with the digital learning asset framework, what the whole initiative is about is trying to find that alignment and to describe what would that success look like. If this was a total success, what would happen? We would be able to show that for this target group of learners, this is the impact that their behavior has without this learning without the this set of assets or whatever. Um, here's the impact of giving them the wrong information. That is the information that was good enough last year that really should have been updated this year because so many things changed, but we didn't get to it in time. Um, we don't have any way of quantifying what that cost is to the organization right now. And um, and we're speaking a bit about, about costs and about return and things like that. I want to be careful that this isn't like an accounting framework. This isn't um, directly tied to ROI or anything. This is this is the groundwork. This is the framework that you need to have those discussions. It's not the oh let's get this and then we'll be able to you know directly report ROI and and all of that. Which by the way, uh, I know you've had on your your podcast before. Um, Ajay Pankakar uh, loves to talk about this one. Like the business isn't actually asking for that most of the time, um, but but. It's like our misinterpretation of what it is that that we think that the business is is wanting. Really, if we can just show that we tried something and it worked and it cost less to deliver that than not to have it, then that's your business case. That's done. Um, so this is a way of being able to take what are those unique to every organization kind of business intelligence, all, all the, the logic of uh, why the organization exists and what each element of it does. And okay, here, we're going to make something that, that makes these people right here do this process right here better than they do now. And that's going to result in an increase of you know, whatever number it is that we're looking at or however that's measured already. Um, this is going to get better. And we're going to test and iterate our way to making that really true. So the digital learning asset framework is a way of doing that for digital assets. Um, the only reason that we picked digital is because at the outset, gathering you know 30 people from around the world, I, the timetable was three months. I made it very tight uh, because I didn't want to put a whole bunch of time into this without knowing how it was going to turn out either. And I wanted to go for people who were really busy, who were really solving great problems and knowing that they didn't have a lot of time to put at something that is, uh, we haven't even mentioned it yet, that is Creative Commons licensed, that is open to the world. It's There's not like a, a money on the other side of it uh, for you know, purchase, oh, we bought the digital learning asset framework. That's not part of the, uh, of what's going on here, not part of the initiative. So getting people who were really smart and really busy means I have little chunks of their time. So I 
tried to coordinate all of these different ideas, put them together and come out with something in a three month span and solving all the problems of learning and development was a bit much. So we just focused on the ones that are the easiest to measure, which is why we went for the digital asset especially when so much of content tends to be moving that way anyway. It just seemed like a better positioning for the future rather than that justification of here's all the stuff that training is, is right now. Here's, here's what the learning and development department is making right now. Let's justify this. Let's categorize this. Let's make this make sense. That's just like walking into the business meeting and trying to justify the costs that have been spent. It's the wrong way to approach the problem. The right way is to focus on what it is that contributes value. Let's start with that stuff. Let's start with making it much more difficult to create something that doesn't have value rather than waiting until we launch it and then seeing how it did. Well, and on that particular philosophy, we should say to people as well, because you may be wondering, why haven't we just gone step by step through the framework? Well, the framework exists. The toolkit exists. It's there ready for your consumption. But it is a living, breathing entity because at the moment we're on version 1.0. But Sam, I know you wanted to tell us about what's going to be happening next with the framework. Well, I wanted to make an invitation and to use this this podcast as the place to do it. Um, I'd like to invite anyone who's listening and has been paying attention thus far uh, to get involved and to become part of this community, to become part of this movement, to be able to do what we do better, to be able to make, manage, and measure the media that we create for learning better. And to look at the next iteration of what this digital learning asset framework is, both in terms of its scope. Um, maybe we want to expand beyond the digital part um, in terms of its uh, architecture. Uh, how, are there things that we need to tweak or to, to make better in this framework itself? And also just to to be able to connect with each other and start another cohort and another container, another collective. I'm looking to gather again about 30 or so people from around the world who care about this kind of problem, who want to be able to be a part of solving it and who aren't looking for money as a result, who are looking to create something that better frames the discussion that we can have not only with our business leaders, but with us as a community to have more intellectual rigor so that we're not having the same conversations over and over again, but that we can have better, newer conversations, ones that are more dynamic and more, um, more edgy, more, more of what can keep pace with the increasing burden that is being placed upon learning and development with the increasing, you know, explosion of, of, asset types of different kinds of modalities of different um, ways in which learning itself is measured. Um, let's, let's get all of those, you know, cutting edge folks together. And, um, and maybe it won't just be 30 people. I don't know. This is the, this is the first invitation that I'm putting out there. I'm not really quite sure how to structure it. This is a, something that's constantly iterating. And the process that I used last time is certainly open to uh, revision as well. Um, 
But I would love to hear from you and to have people visit the digital learning asset framework.com is the best place to start. If you're looking at being a part of this community of this movement and uh, and also just getting started with what's there right now, what's there right now is solid. And, and I don't mean to like apologize for it or anything. Um, there's a, a set of resources which you can download and begin. There's videos that you can watch to get uh, that step-by-step that you were talking about. There's been new content every day for the last 60 days or so um, that I've been publishing to that website. Uh, but, but this really is a community thing. This is about gathering the people who care about what it is that we make and manage and measure and being able to do that better. If that's the kind of thing that you love to geek out on, here's a place to go do that. Excellent. Well, if that hasn't whetted your appetite, then I don't know what will. I'm hoping that we hear from lots of people that are trying to address this in their organisations, trying to uh, address it as individuals, as vendors, really wanting to see the future of the learning development community and the profession take off. So I'm hoping that we get lots of people, Sam, volunteering to be a part of this. And this is certainly not the end of our conversation on this. We're going to keep circling back to this as it grows, as it evolves, um, because there's so much more we could talk about. Um, but this podcast will probably be the longest podcast in history if we carried on doing it, Sam. So we may have to serialise this. But um, Sam, once again, thank you so much for your time, not just for the podcast, but the time that you've put in to building this um, for the community and by the community. And thank you for joining me on Learning Now Radio. Always a pleasure. Uh, Sorry if I rambled at all, but uh, I do get passionate about this. So uh, (laughs) thank you for sharing that. And uh, thank you for listening, everyone. Learning Now Radio. All the best news, reviews and interviews. Well, that's all we have for this episode. I hope you found some useful takeaways to jot down and use back at work. Please remember to share Learning Now Radio with your work colleagues, your Twitter followers, and of course, your Facebook friends. So once again, thank you so much for listening to Learning Now Radio. Please help us to spread the word by subscribing and rating us on iTunes. And Lisa and I look forward to you joining us in two weeks' time.